You are listening to the VBAC Link Podcast, episode number 73. Today, we are on the line with our local fellow doula, Sarah Pixton, whom we adore, and she's going to share her stories with us. And we're really excited about Sarah because she is working on kind of creating this new path of study, I feel like, just based on our conversations about how you you can apply like using language in linguistics to change the way how we feel and approach birth. And I'm really excited to quiz her brain a little bit after she shares her story with us. So you are definitely going to want to stay tuned clear till the end because we're going to have some really useful information for you at the end of the podcast after she shares her story with us. But before we get into any of that, Megan pointing at you, Megan. <laughs> we can see me. I don't know why I do this big grand gesture. I Megan. Know <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Has our review of the week. <laughs> yes, I do. And this is from ATB and me on Apple Podcasts. And she says, these ladies are amazing. They have given me so much information about VBAC and C-section prevention. All these mamas Telling their stories are so inspiring. Thank you. With little emoji, like heart eyes emoji the, and praying the emoji. Praying, yeah, like the thank you. Thank like, I think Namaste. someone told me, did you know this? Someone told me that those are actually not the praying emoji, it's two high fives going. Do you know what? My husband what thought it was two me. high fives, but when you type in the word praying, see, look, Siri's telling me right now. Um, when you type in the word praying in your text, it, it auto converts to that I emoji. Know. So I just I'm think people are sure. confused. I'm not too sure. In case you didn't know, what's your vote? Let us know. We're going yeah. to create a quiz on our Instagram stories today. Is it? And we're going to put that emoji and say, is this praying emoji or is it a high five emoji? And you guys get to pick. It's going to be the popular vote. Today it's going to when be this air, with this airs when or this today? Airs. Okay. We're going to do note this of that. when this airs. <laughs> well, I'll remember when I'm listening to this nonsense yes. conversation. That is true. Right that now. is true. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, we will turn the time over to Sarah. No, we won't. We're going to oh. do the intro first. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Welcome back. We are so excited. It is Women of Strength Wednesday. I'm pretty sure we should make that a thing. Women of Strength Wednesday. Doesn't that sound catchy? I love it. Women of Strength Wednesday. It is Women of Strength Wednesday, and we have an incredible woman of strength for you today. And her name is Sarah. And you know what? Kind of funny little tidbit. We're recording this several months in advance, but Sarah and I met each other at the splash pad <laughs> a few days oh, really? ago. Yeah, with our kids. It was like a little do the hangout thing with the kids, a little play date. And she said, I don't know, like recognize her face. And I feel like she recognized me. And then I'm like, Can you remind me what your name is? And she's like, Sarah, and you are. And I'm like, Julie. And then I'm like, Sarah, who and you she's like Sarah Pixon. I'm like, oh, Sarah Pixon. Oh, we're recording <laughs> your podcast episode next week. <laughs> and it was really funny. But so we saw each other at the splash pad last week. It's pretty That's cool. Awesome. 
Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. I am officially just requested her on Facebook. So because I think it's sad that we're okay. not friends. Well, well, now we're friends. <laughs> Megan, meet Sarah. Sarah, yes. Megan. Yep. Sad well, you I know who you are. I know who you are. But you're not Facebook friends. Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before we get talking too much about Facebook and splash pads, Sarah, why don't we turn over to you and you can share your stories with us? Yeah. So I guess starting from the beginning, when my husband and I decided that we wanted to have kids, we kind of struggled with infertility for a while. And once we got to the just past the year mark of trying to have kids and nothing was happening, we decided to use some Clomid to mm. help encourage things to happen. My and first baby was a Clomid us. baby. Did you know that? Oh, baby? yeah? Yeah, totally oh, really? was. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Clomid, Clomid baby. Yep. <laughs> Fist bump. So, you know, they tell you when you start taking Clomid that it, like, increases the risk, if that's the right word. Chances. Of, um, <laughs> the opportunity of having <laughs> twins. Yeah. And I was like, sure, sweet. Like, we've been trying to have kids for a while. Might as well increase the chance of having two. But it's still really low. Sorry. It's like 10%, I think. But we got pregnant on the second round of Clomid and at the 10-week appointment when I went in to meet my OB, we found out we were having twins, and we were super excited. We were, like, Yay. everybody was like, are you scared? And we were like, no, babies, hurry, babies. Babies. <laughs> we didn't really know what the twin journey would entail, but we yeah. were excited. So I had always, I think, like, for as long as I can remember, planned to have unmedicated births and I think it's largely because my mom did and she spoke really positively of it and I was like sweet women are made to do this this is awesome I can totally do that but then when I got pregnant with twins I heard that what you're supposed to do you can't see my air quotes um, (laughs) it's a hard thing about podcasts (laughs) right (laughs) that's the problem um so what you're supposed to do is have an epidural because there's a an increased chance of ending with a cesarean birth and whatever. So I was young. I didn't know much about birth at the time. I kind of assumed that if that's what people said you were supposed to do, then that's what I should do and chose a, a provider who was pretty much along those same lines. Actually, a team of lots of obstetricians, you know, there were like 10 and so I met each one once throughout the pregnancy and was kind of not sure who would be there um, when the day of the birth came. But they all seemed to be about on the same page, and that was the plan. And then when I was 30 weeks pregnant, I started having regular contractions. Like every 10 to 15 minutes, I still have this sticky note in my wallet where I was teaching, and I would just like write a note on the sticky note throughout the day when I felt a contraction, And then I noticed that they were coming regularly all day long. And so we got in touch with my doctors and um, they recommended that I would go into the hospital and they checked me and my cervix was beginning to dilate and it made change while I was there at the hospital. So I was prescribed some drugs to stop the contracting or to slow it and given 
magnesium and the steroid shots for my babies in case they happened to come really quickly because I was only 30 weeks pregnant. And I started taking nifedipine over the ensuing weeks, mm-hmm. um, just around the clock. You take it every four hours. It's a blood, me- blood pressure medication, but it has the side effect of also slowing contractions. So I was on hospital bed rest trying not to have the babies for four more weeks. And then when I hit the 34-week mark, they said, well, at this point, if you did go into labor, we wouldn't aggressively try to stop it again. So you live two blocks from the hospital. You can go home. And I was still on bed rest at home. And then when I think I was 35 weeks and zero days, 35 exactly, my body got stronger than the nifedipine that was trying to encourage me to not contract. Mm -hmm. And I was in active labor, so I went to the hospital, and I was dilated six centimeters, and I'd been like three to four centimeters the whole five weeks previously. So I'd made additional, I dilated additionally, so I said, okay, today's the day. These babies are coming early, but at least they didn't come at 30 weeks. Mm-hmm. And we kind of got settled into this, like, birthday mode, right? Right. So because I had decided to get an epidural, I was like, well, I guess that's what I should do now that I'm in active labor. And, again, just kind of made decisions by default, I think, not with a whole lot of thought behind them. And I got an epidural, and when I did, my contractions slowed, and I didn't continue dilating and a nurse came and told me that they were going to start Pitocin since I'd stopped contracting and in my little I think I was 22 20 no 24 24 year old mind I thought like okay I've been laying in bed for five weeks trying not to have these babies and now I've stopped contracting so we need to like beat it up to make (laughs) yeah but I didn't say anything Because they were the medical professionals, I thought, so they knew, and I didn't ask any questions or reasoning or anything. So they gave me Pitocin, and I still didn't have my contractions pick up too much. So then they said they were going to break my water. And again, I don't remember exactly how these decisions were made, but I just remember seeing them like presenting, this is the next step, and me at least passively consenting. Mm-hmm. And so they broke my water and I dilated really quickly. I think I was seven centimeters at the time. And then 20 minutes later, I was fully dilated and feeling the urge to push. And because in the hospital where I was giving birth, twins are supposed to be birthed in the operating room. They rushed me to the operating room. I'm trying to remember how exactly this happened. I'm pretty sure that before they started moving me, my baby B, her heart rate dropped and they gave me oxygen to try to get it to pick back up and it wasn't and they were concerned and so they called an emergency cesarean. And so while I was like trying not to push because they were telling me not to, Mm. they were prepping me for an emergency C-section, rushing me to the OR, like gave my husband his scrubs to put on over his street clothes and left before he had them on and he had to like run down the hall chasing us and 
they prepped me for the surgery, got me onto the table, and they started, like, I remember they took out the scalpel and started to make the incision, and I was like, oh, I can feel that. And so the <gasps> anesthesiologist gave me um, oh my gosh. some extra medicine through my IV. My husband had caught up at this point. He found us. He just had to run. And I remember the anesthesiologist saying, this is going to make her a little loopy. And then from there, like, the ceiling turned into swirling colors of white and blue. And mm. I couldn't remember my name or my husband's name or why we were there. Like, I did figure it out, but it took me a while. Like, I just was very on drugs um, <laughs> and not lucid. And I remembered, like, a few little snippets. My first daughter, um, I remember when she was born, they brought me over, brought her over to me and said, like, here's your daughter. You want to give her a kiss? And I, I remember trying to kiss her and, like, not really being able to control my face muscles and feeling really Aww. awkward about puckering awkwardly. And then they got baby B out. whose heart rate had dropped. She needed a little help learning to breathe. So she had a quick NICU stay for like eight and a half or nine hours. But considering that she was only 35 weeks and didn't even weigh five pounds, like she did awesome. And by the time that they were like nine hours old, they were both in my room in the hospital. And I had a lot of great support with breastfeeding with them, which was awesome because breastfeeding twins can be a real struggle. And I felt like I got the support I needed just from day one that made it so that I could do that with them. Yeah, that is some hard work. Like good. For, it was good for you. It was hard. It was, work, hard. <laughs> it was like my full time job, right? Um, yes. But yeah, so then we kind of just did the recovery thing for they were born on Thursday night. And then on Sunday morning, I I'd noticed that my left leg was really swollen. Hmm. Um, so I'd like brought it up to the nurses a couple times and they were like, well, yeah, swelling after a surgery is normal. But it got to the point where I was like, yeah, but my left leg is so much more swollen than my right leg. And they said, okay, well, let's take you down to an ultrasound to rule out the possibility of blood clots like deep vein thrombosis. And I was like, okay, great. So they went down to do the scan on my leg and we found out that I my like deep vein on my left leg was clotted from just below my kneecap oh up my to gosh. like my groin oh um, my gosh, gosh. yeah so it That's was scary expensive really yeah and you know it's hard looking back thinking like if I had been able to avoid a cesarean from the get-go like you say would that have minimized my blood clots because I was just like had all of the risk factors for blood clots. I was pregnant, which is a risk factor. I was pregnant with twins, which means I had higher estrogen levels, mm -hmm. which made me even riskier. I was on bed rest for five weeks, which is a huge risk factor for mm -hmm. it. And then I had a surgery, which is another huge risk factor yeah. for it. And then after it was diagnosed, they did some blood tests and I found out I have a genetic predisposition. I well, have of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so man. I had, like, five things going against yeah. me. But, uh, you know, I wonder, like, if I was able to cut out one or two of those, would it make a difference 
And you never know. And you can ask what if questions all day long. And oh, yeah. Maybe you'll, it you'll, me. you'll be miserable if you do, if you do that. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, so then for the next long while, I was recovering from the C-section. I was recovering from my blood clots. And I was feeding, breastfeeding premature babies around the clock. And it was a medical emergency. Like that's what I took away from my birth experience was yeah. birth was a medical emergency, but still we wanted more babies. So <laughs> that was crazy, but we decided we wanted to have another. And I got pregnant with our son when the girls were two and some change, two and a half. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I wanted it to be a completely different experience that I still had this belief that birth could be a natural and beautiful thing that didn't have to be a medical emergency. And my doctors from my postpartum appointments had given me encouraging comments about, like, you would be a great candidate for a VBAC. You, like, this was due to fetal distress, not anything that would necessarily recur in the subsequent pregnancy. And... So that was always the plan, but I knew that I needed to know better what was going on and be better educated about birth generally and my body and everything. So during his pregnancy, I took a comprehensive childbirth class, I read lots of books, and just really felt like I knew a lot better what my body was designed to do and what interventions could come up and what the different choices along like the different choices that I could make throughout the birth experience and what the potential consequences were of choosing one thing versus another and I just felt like going into it I was a lot more knowledgeable and empowered and we lived in another state by this time and I chose a provider who had a reputation for being really VBAC supportive and I think that made a huge difference. I really wanted to birth with a midwife, but I felt like because of my history of my blood clots and my genetic predisposition to clot, I should be seen by an OB. And I think that was the right choice for that pregnancy. I have to take anticoagulants when I'm pregnant now because I don't want that to happen again. And they're really effective at preventing blood clots now that I know that I have that propensity. Yeah. So I felt like I was really ready to go for by the time he was fully cooked. I was ready to have this VBAC and it was going to be unmedicated and it was going to be awesome. And like it never crossed my mind that it wouldn't work. And I spent a lot of time like meditating and doing visualizations and really just trusting my body and my mind to get into a place that they could work together and, and my body could do what it needed to do. So it was like the morning of my due date on paper, although in my mind it was two days past my due date because I had a different calendar in my <laughs> mind. And those things really matter when you're 40 weeks pregnant. They do. Every well. day matters. It's so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I woke up at 4.27 a.m. to my water breaking with like a strong contraction. And that was exciting. And I was like, all right go time, let's do this. And about 30 minutes later, I was contracting strongly and regularly. 
and I got to the hospital about 30 minutes later. They had me come in right away because I was group B strep positive. So Mm. they wanted to start some penicillin doses. And by the time they checked my cervix in triage, I was eight and a half centimeters dilated. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. That's great news when you're going for a VBAC. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And that was like half an hour into like, well, I had probably been contracting for about 30 minutes at that point. I, I like to say that I do early labor for the entire third trimester. Nice. Yeah. (laughs) I've been like four centimeters dilated at my previous appointment and I had contractions like every night and Mm. whatever. So we'd been, I'd been warming up for it, but yeah. So then they got my IV placed for the penicillin and determined that this was happening and happening quickly. And they actually were like not too concerned about the penicillin because they're like, this baby is coming and walked across the room to my, uh, walked across the hall to my room. And they were like, do you want a wheelchair? And I was like, no, like (laughs) powerful, right? I can walk while in labor, which is what felt right for my body at that point. And tried to get comfortable. Of course, I couldn't get too comfortable because I was in transition. And I don't normally tell this part, but I passed out. Oh, my Um, gosh. I have really low blood pressure. I think that's why. Just like all the time. And then just the stress of... All of it. (laughs) You know, your body working so hard. Mm. Um. So I got to the point where I was like, oh, I feel nauseous. I threw up, passed out. I was only out for like 20 seconds, but then I got a lot of attention in the room really fast. It was also right at the nurse's shift change. So everybody was just there making sure I was okay. And they gave me some oxygen and I perked back up. And pretty soon I was feeling like I was ready to push my baby out. So I had imagined in all my birth preparations that I wouldn't be like in bed semi-reclined that I would try a different position like squatting or hands and knees but given the fact that I had lost consciousness just beforehand which is totally rare everybody who's listening like this is not something that frequently happens Happens. (laughs) during labor like at all I've never seen it or heard about it in anybody else I think I just have really low blood blood pressure but I felt like okay maybe I should be in a semi-reclined position on bed and so I did, and 45 minutes later, my nine-pound, six-ounce baby was born. Holy cow. Back. And it was awesome. Nine pounds, six ounces. as much as his sisters combined, Oh, much. my gosh. <laughs> that is so crazy. <laughs> Sarah's a pretty yeah. petite woman for anyone that's listening. So if you've ever been told your pelvis is too small, your Seriously. baby is too big, I just want to say that again. Sarah is Seriously. a petite woman and had a nine pound six ounce baby in like 45 minutes yeah Yeah. (laughs) wow yeah so it can totally be done and I felt like a huge thing was just like knowing that my providers were on my team that they were like VBAC was their goal as much as it was mine and so when I called my mom to tell her that my baby had been born she was like didn't want to ask questions about whether it had been a a successful VBAC or whatever, because she didn't want to put pressure on me if it hadn't been. But like, <laughs> oh, that's I was like, well, why wouldn't it have been? Like, of course it was. <laughs> Don't you I know me? Back and I <laughs> realized that it was naive and that things can happen that are Absolutely. outside of our control mm-hmm. all the time they do. And like, that's not for anybody to, 
be blamed. Right. But I feel like I was far more educated and prepared than I was the first time around. And then some fortunate things happened with my body and the way my labor progressed. And I had supportive care providers. So it was awesome. And then um, when we came back, we lived in an apartment complex at the time. And I remember, I think we'd only been home from the hospital for a couple of days. And I just went down to, there was a playground, like all the apartments surrounded a playground. So I went downstairs to have my twin girls go play on the playground. And I was sitting on a bench with my newborn in the carrier and friends came around and said, Oh, how was your birth? And I said, amazing. And they were like, no, like the part where you like birthed a child. And I was like, it was so awesome. Can I just tell you about how amazing it was? Mm -hmm. Um, And it just really ignited my passion for birth and how amazing our bodies are that they can just do this. So absolutely. That's my story. I love it. That is really good. Yes. That is awesome. I'm I'm excited for you. And you know what? Like, I think there's a difference between, like, confidence and arrogance and going into your birth, like, confidently. Mm-hmm. You had everything set up for success. You had a, a great supportive provider. You had done a lot of processing and educating yourself. Um, you were taking care of yourself. Um, but you're right. Like, sometimes... Things do happen, like unexpected and unplanned mm-hmm. things that that are true emergencies that warrant a repeat cesarean. But I'm I'm glad you got the birth experience that you did, and I'm glad that you were confident enough in your ability to do that. Because sometimes a lack of confidence in yourself or how you speak about the way you are going into a birth can actually delay birth even starting. I have mm-hmm. I have had yeah. a client who. She was going for a VBAC after a couple of C-sections and she was talking about she had been poorly treated in her past pregnancies mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. she had a great provider, a great birth team, a great everything and um, like was doing everything right. She was prepared. She was educated. She was everything. But she had that like lack of confidence in and I don't even know what it was exactly. I can't even pinpoint mm-hmm. it. But, but every time she would speak about the the future birth she would say something like oh if if this baby ever comes Mm -hmm. over I'm anticipating this baby's going to be big again or things like that and that can actually that speaking those things can actually impact your body's ability to start the whole birth process itself and so I gave her homework and I told her (laughs) sometimes I give my clients homework if you hire me as your doula, expect to have homework because <laughs> it's good for you. Um, I gave her homework and I made her husband check her on this. And I said, listen, I don't, I I know that like the, we talked about, you know, what I had just said, how the things you say like um, manifest themselves and can turn themselves like into reality. And so we're going to work on controlling your thoughts later. But for right now, I want you to focus mm-hmm. on just speaking only positive things. Mm-hmm. If you start to say, oh, we're anticipating a, b- a big baby, just say, Our, my baby's going to be the perfect, a perfect sized baby. Or mm-hmm. if you're saying, oh, I'll probably go to 42 weeks. Then you say, my baby's going to come at the perfect time. And using those mm-hmm. things actually helped her just watching how she spoke and her husband was my helper he would call her out on any little thing she's like he even started getting to thinking about when I was talking about things completely unrelated to birth but her mindset started to change and I really believe it freed Mm -hmm. up the pain and tension in her body for labor to start and so so Mm -hmm. let's start talking a little bit about that Sarah I 
I want you to just talk a little bit about what you're doing. I know before the before we started recording, we talked a little bit about what you're doing with your studies with linguistics and how you want to apply that to birth. So do you want to just talk mm-hmm. for like five to seven minutes about what you're doing? Because I feel like this huge thing forming and I know you're starting a podcast soon. Yeah. And I just I want to know what you're working on because I just want to like soak yeah. it all in. Great. I love to I would love to tell you. Perfect. Um so I started a master's in linguistics a couple of years ago and my background is in elementary education and I was like, okay, I'm doing this for like education. I really cared about the language that teachers use and how it shapes students' experiences as yeah. learners and how they perceive themselves. So I was really passionate about that. And then I started doing this doula thing and I was like, Okay, I have these split passions, like I'm doing this language thing and this birth thing. And then I woke up in the middle of the night one night and I just had this phrase like birth words stuck in my head and I like, couldn't go back to sleep. And I was like, okay, I'm supposed to do something with this. So then I started trying to figure out what it was. And one of the first things that happened was the evidence-based birth conference coming up in Kentucky in September. We're going. Um, Are you going? Yeah. Yay! 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 We're going to see you. <laughs> so they... I'm oh, yeah. Aren't you teaching out? You're teaching. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I remember. I think ah, I saw you. Yes. Yeah. Excited. So, yeah. So they, spoiler alert, they sent out an email, like I'm on their birth professionals mailing list or whatever, saying, hey, we're having this conference. We're looking for workshop presenters. If you have something, submit a proposal. And I was like, well, I just had this idea in the middle of the night. Like, might as well write up a workshop proposal and see what comes of it. And I wrote this proposal and I was like, oh, I feel really good about this could be a really good workshop where we look closely at birth stories and we look at the words and phrases that positively influenced the course of the birth experience and those that kind of negatively swayed it. And we look closely at how people said things and if there are things in common among those things that led to positive outcomes versus what's in common with those words and phrases that swayed things negatively. Mm-hmm. Um, so I laid out this workshop proposal that we were going to look closely at birth studies, have this discussion about it, and then do some role playing to practice the positive language and submitted it and thought like, well, that was just kind of a crazy idea I had. We'll see what happens. And then got an email a little while later that they'd accepted my proposal. And I was like, okay, this birth words thing, whatever I woke up with this idea in the night. It, it's happening. <laughs> it's exciting. <laughs> I'm presenting this workshop. What so a testament that it's like supposed to be happening. I'm, yeah, it's been, I have to remind myself, I'm, you know, you kind of get bogged down when you have big ideas and the details oh, get yep. kind of <laughs> stressful or whatever. So I have to remind myself of this story every now and then. Yeah, so then I started planning workshops for local doulas and other birth professionals to help me prepare for that workshop and to just kind of formulate my ideas about how do we talk about these things. And a few weeks ago, I presented one of those workshops with some local doulas and we had a great conversation and I got some good feedback about mostly that we wish we had more than an hour to talk about these things because there's so much to talk about. Yeah. Which um, I'd also had this idea of maybe a podcast doing and then I thought this would be a great opportunity. Sorry, not this conversation, but me starting a podcast yeah. would be a great way to dive into lots of different areas of where linguistics and birth intersect. Because like in my studies, in my master's program, 
I'm the only one who's writing about birth, right? Every mm-hmm. and any time I can sway an assignment to work it in, I'll like do it about something yeah. to do with birth and my peers who review it are always like, What an interesting topic choice. I never would have You're onto it. something. You are. I'm super excited about it. So yeah, I'm doing workshops. I have one for expectant families in the works too. And I'm working on trying to get a couple of scholarly articles published in academic journals as well, which is a whole other scary ball game mm-hmm. to figure out. But yeah, it's exciting. So that's what I'm doing. That is exciting. You guys, you heard her first right here on the VBAC Link podcast. <laughs> Remember the name, Sarah Pigston, because she is amazing. And we hope by the time this episode is live, actually, I think it's just, is this like in the middle of the conference? I'm just going to look up the date right now. Oh my gosh. Yeah. September 25th is when your episode goes live. So I think that's yeah. like the day before the conference starts. Uh-huh. Perfect timing. Holy cow. Okay. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's actually really cool. So this is amazing because these conversations need to be happening because it is so important. Mm-hmm. Speaking of positive language, Megan and I have gathered our favorite VBAC birth affirmations that we used personally to prepare for our own VBAC journeys. We packaged them in this beautiful little bundle and we've made them available for free for you to go and download and use however you want. You can hang them up in your house, in your birth room. You can print them out in little mini wallet size (laughs) pictures and carry them in your wallet with you. However you want to use them, they are yours. They've got all the best VBAC juju instilled in them. And all you need to do is go to our homepage, thevbacklink.com, scroll down just a little bit and you're going to see download your free VBAC birth affirmations here or something similar to that. And go there. So go there now. Remember Sarah Pixton, birth words, and there's some big things. There's some big things coming for you, Sarah. I can feel it. Yep. Well, thank <laughs> it's you guys. You've been, I've been listening to your podcast a ton to help me get ideas going for mine. So I really Aww. appreciate your Oh, thank you. Yes. I'm excited to go look at those affirmations. That'll yes. Yeah. The VBAClink.com. Yep. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the vbacklink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the vbacklink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.